part of a process, it can be seen as a cycle. And the first step in that cycle is to confirm your strategy, your mission which defines the purpose, the strategy itself, which is the high-level plan, and the goal, the unit-specific targets. You then need, as we've said before, identify and see those risks. Risk identification, what are the threats and uncertainties associated with your organisation or unit objectives? And it's also worthwhile here separating out the risks into cause and possible effects. Always be concise and clear and do not concentrate on symptoms only. And in assessing the risk, look at the impact and its likelihood. I'll try and give you some guidance on that later. You then need to prioritise those risks. A hint here is to get input from appropriate individuals. The third stage in the cycle is to challenge and evaluate controls. Your control policy, actions, procedures, a process is designed to prevent risk or to limit its impact. Do they work? Are they effective? Residual risk only should be measured. The next stage is to take action. A type of action could be summarised as avoidance, limitation or reduction, transfer or sharing, and retention. You will decide upon your risk appetite, but we'll come back to these a little later and explore them in more detail. The fifth stage, or the final stage, is to monitor and report. Use a standard format to capturing your risk data, i.e. a risk register. Review all the risks at least annually and for each and every project on completion. Serious risks should be reviewed more often depending on circumstances and report on risks to senior management or the board while making the risk register itself available to stakeholders to show good governance. Now there seems to be a lot going on here already and you may want to categorise those risks. There are multiple ways in which risk can be categorised. Final categories used will often depend on each and every organisation and the unit circumstances. The goal is to cluster risks into standard, meaningful and actionable groups. And what will follow now is one example of a type of categorisation. So, for example, financial. These might include reduction in funding, the failure of safeguarding assets, poor cash flow management, lack of value for money, fraud or theft, and poor budgeting. You could then look at operational risk. These are the risks resulting from failed or inappropriate policies, procedures, systems or activities. For example, a failure of an IT system, poor quality of service delivered, a lack of succession planning, health and safety risks, staff skill levels, no process to track contractual commitments, does that give you food for thought? Then you might want to consider reputational risks. Organisations engage in activities that could threaten its good name through association with other bodies, through staff and members acting in a criminal or unethical way, simply poor stakeholder relations. You then might want to look at governance and compliance. Is there a lack of oversight by the board? The segregation of duties not defined formally. Ensuring compliance with funding terms and conditions. 
compliance with applicable legislation. For example, the safeguarding of vulnerable individuals, taxation law, data protection and health and safety. And one more for now is strategic, engaging in activities at variance with its stated objectives, fails to engage in an activity that would support its stated objectives. I've just listed these here to give you some ideas, but as you can imagine, they depend very much on your own business. The risks you face are individual to each and every business. Once risks have been identified and assessed, all techniques to manage the risk fall into one of four major categories. And I'll quickly run through those and then go through each in more detail. So there's avoidance, but bear in mind this might actually result in lost opportunities. There's limitation or reduction, but it can be costly. There's transfer or sharing, for example, outsourcing, insurance or hedging. And then there's retention, where you simply accept and budget for the risk. So I'll run through those in more detail. Avoidance. This includes not performing an activity that could present risk. Refusing to purchase a property or a business to avoid a legal liability is one such example. Or avoiding aeroplane flights for fear of hijacking. Avoidance may seem like the answer to all the risks, but avoiding risk also means losing out on the potential gain that accepting or attaining that risk may have allowed. For example, not entering a business to avoid the loss also avoids the possibility of earning profits. So that's what I mean when I say avoidance, but this might also result in a lost opportunity. So the next category, limitation or reduction. Risk reduction or optimization involves reducing the severity of the loss or the likelihood of loss from occurring. For example, sprinklers are designed to put out a fire to reduce the risk of loss by fire. This method, however, may cause greater loss by water damage and therefore may not be suitable. Hail on fire suppression systems may mitigate the risk, but the cost may be prohibitive as a strategy. Acknowledging that risk can be a positive or a negative. Optimising the risk means finding a balance between negative risk and the benefit of the operation or the activity, and between risk reduction and the effort applied. By effectively applying health, safety and environmental management standards, organisations can achieve tolerable levels of residual risk. So that's limitation or risk. So let's move on to sharing and transfer. Briefly defined as sharing with another party, the burden of loss or the benefit of gain from a risk and the measurement to reduce a risk. Outsourcing could be an example of risk sharing strategy. If the outsourcer can demonstrate higher capability of management or reducing risks. For example, a company may outsource only its software development, the manufacture of hard goods or customer support needs to another company while handling the business management itself. This way the company can concentrate more on business development without having to worry as much about the manufacturing process, managing the development team or finding a physical location for a centre. And slightly differently is the transfer side of things. So the term transfer risk is often used in place of risk sharing in the mistaken belief that you can transfer a risk to a third party through insurance or outsourcing. 
In practice, if the insurance company or contractor go bankrupt or end up in court, the original risk is likely to still revert to you as the first party. As such, in the terminology of practitioners and scholars alike, the purchase of an insurance contract is often described as a transfer of risk. However, technically speaking, the buyer of the contract generally retains legal responsibility for the losses transferred. And this means that insurance may be described more accurately as a post-event compensatory mechanism. For example, a personal injury insurance policy does not transfer the risk of a car accident to the insurance company. The risk still lies with the policyholder, namely the person who's been in the accident. The insurance policy simply provides that if an accident or an event occurs involving the policyholder, then some compensation may be payable to the policyholder that is commensurate with the suffering or damage. And that leaves us with the last category, risk retention. Risk retention involves accepting the loss or benefit of gain from a risk when the incident occurs. True self-insurance falls into this category. Risk retention is the variable strategy for small risk, where the costs of insuring against a risk would be greater over time than the total losses sustained. All risks that are not avoidable or transferable are retained by default. This includes risks that are so large or catastrophic that either they cannot be insured against or the premiums would simply be infeasible. War is an example since most properties and risks are not insured against war so the loss attribution to war is retained by the insurer. Also, any amounts of potential loss over the amount insured is a retained risk. This may be acceptable if the chance of a very large loss is small, or if the cost to insure for greater coverage amount is so great that it would hinder the cost of the organisation too much. So I've quickly run through the techniques to manage the risk which, as I said, falls into four categories, avoidance, limitation or reduction, transfer or sharing, and retention.